I'm finally getting to talk to Robert Falls, the artistic director of the Goodman Theater here in Chicago, who has had such a f- extravagant and varied career. I honestly kind of don't know where to begin. Are you are you the artistic director of a corporate behemoth, or are you still that little scrappy storefront director <laughs> that you always were? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 14th year, number 678, Director Robert Falls. Robert Falls is the Tony-winning artistic director of the Goodman Theater in Chicago, and we've talked with actors from his productions of The Iceman Cometh, The Winter's Tale, and Enemy of the People before on the podcast, but today we get to talk to the man himself. And he started our conversation by sincerely answering my only slightly facetious question. The quick answer to that is... Yes, quite a few years ago, I was part of one of the original scrappy storefront theaters, Mm -hmm. but I was clearly, for me, was ready to move on into something, although I didn't think it was going to be a corporate behemoth. Behemoth? What's the word? Behemoth? Behemoth. (laughs) I got my E and my O mixed up. (laughs) And still coming to work. I mean, what what you may have seen or what, what, you know, you come up, we're sitting now, we're talking up in my office on the fourth floor of the Goodman Theater. And, you know, I walk out of here to an artistic staff that is about five people. Yes. So it's not exactly like, you know, some giant corporation. Right. It's There's basically five people in the artistic staff right. doing all of this work. Now there's about 110 <laughs> in, in the development department <clears throat> raising money to support all of this. Yeah. But uh, that's sort of how I see it, somewhere in between those worlds. Well, and you, and not only have gone gone from the storefront in Chicago to the Goodman Theater, but you've directed on Broadway as well. Um, um, what? What? I re- and I read some of your history in Mark Larson's invaluable book, Ensemble. What is kind of the driving factor for you when you approach any play, or when you have approached your your career as a director? Yeah, the Mark Larson book, I mean, we're giving a great shout-out. I mean, I saw him last night. I just sort of ran into him and had not had a chance to congratulate him on the book. It really is extraordinary, and I'm sure for all of your listeners, it is an essential... You have to have an essential place on your shelf for that book. You do. Because it it, it truly is a remarkable documentation, oral history of the Chicago theater, and he gets it right. And, and just the way he juxtaposes these voices is, is, is really pretty terrific. I've always, I think what may distinguish me from some people is that I've loved both aspects of this job, which is running a theater company. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I did it at Wisdom Bridge on Howard Street all those years ago. We're going back to the late 1970s, early 80s. Right. Um, and I've, I've loved being able to watch other directors work. I've loved being able to curate a season. I've loved being able to work within a community. Yeah. Uh, but then probably even more is, is the actual directing process of getting in a room with actors. And uh, what can I say? I, I have done a lot of stuff, as you pointed out. But I've been really, really, really lucky in, in that, for the most part, there may have been a, one or two productions that I felt I needed to do for a certain reason. Everything I've ever done has been because I was passionate about the play, passionate about yeah. the project. And that's true, actually, even in work that I've done in New York, off-Broadway or, or on-Broadway. 
uh, I, I've been turned down. I've, I've turned down a lot of stuff okay. because I just went, well, this is a good play, but I don't see my way into it or I don't feel passionate about it. Right. Is there a way, is, does being the artistic director of a, of a theater like the Goodman give you the opportunity to program plays that you, don't, that you like and admire but don't have the passion to direct personally, but to still share these projects? Yeah. The, yes, I think that that's. The, there are occasionally plays that will come my way, um, or plays that are submitted to me personally, or plays that I discover that I like, I respect, but I don't see my way into them. Right. That will end up on our stages because we have enough people around here that do fall in love with it and can find their way in, and, and they can find their way yeah. in. And I, I, yeah. I think that's again, you know, I have tremendous admiration for freelance directors. It's it's a life that I could never live. But, you know, a freelance director, I'm not saying they, they have to be, they, they can't be picky, but, you know, they, they have to, I guess that's the phrase I'm using, you have to find your way into the work. And if yeah. you don't, and, and when I say find your way into the work, it doesn't matter whether it's a new play by Rebecca Gilman or it's The Winter's Tale. Right. And you find your way into the work in a different way. I mean, you know, with Winter's Tale, I'm purely finding my way into the work because I look at it as an interpretive challenge. <laughs> uh when I'm doing a play with Rebecca Gilman, say, great Chicago playwright, it's because I'm there. I, I'm there to support her. I'm there to be with her. But even with an, and I'm not trying to do my own thing in any way or my own interpretation. It's all about serving her. But I still find my way in in some way. I remember you. I came into audition for I think your production of Measure for Measure, right. and 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 we had a great long, lengthy, lovely conversation um, that really should have been taken up with seeing other actors. But you took the time with me, and I loved it um, to talk about. You said you you don't have a. I, I, I'm paraphrasing a natural affinity for Shakespeare, or you said something like that, and I, that's fascinating to me because I think that might be true for many people, more people than are willing to admit that. I might have been a little ingenuous in that mm. in that statement. Mm. Uh, a, a, a natural affinity for Shakespeare. Well, I have to work really hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have to really work hard. I have to really study hard. And again, I have to feel pretty deeply about the work. Again, I know directors that are, hey, hand me a play by Shakespeare and I'll direct it. Boom. Everything Shakespeare directs, I love. It's Shakespeare. He's the greatest writer of all time. He's yeah. the greatest player. Give me, give me a play, and I want to get in there and work on yeah. it. And with me, not so much. And and I actually am really, really critical when I go out to see productions of Shakespeare. And I'm sure you are, too. Yeah. I mean, well, we all come from a very strong point sure. of view. So maybe anybody that has done it approaches it that way. I just I just don't like most of it, it, it or understand it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are plays that I read or I see, and I, I, I go, I have no idea what's going on. And I kind of understand this world. Yeah. But... Does the audience really get it, or do, are they getting us? You know, are they getting? Uh, is it like taking medicine? They think it's good for them right. to be watching Shakespeare, or they've been told it's good, so it must be good. It's the emperor's new clothes. Yeah, they've been told it's been pretty good for four hundred years, right. and 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 they do it. And I, as a result, I mean, I, I've I, I say I've only directed, I, and I, I should add it up sometime, but I think I've directed maybe six productions of, of Shakespeare, big productions of Shakespeare. Which isn't as many as a lot of people, but but on the other hand, is still pretty significant sure. for any director to have had the chance to sure. do Shakespeare. But 
it takes me a while to find uh, just to understand the play. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what I meant. Is if that if that makes sense? Uh, may, that makes total sense. And 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 yet you did just did this beautiful production of Winter's Tale. Um, I was out of town, so I didn't get to see the Measure for Measure, and I was. Oh, the measure for measure was great. You really missed the great. <laughs> it's always the really, really. That was amazingly the perfect great. production. You missed the really, really great. It's too bad we can't talk about that one. I think again, the perfect I, measure for measure. I love that. I think it was the best measure for measure in 400 years. <laughs> I'm sure. I yeah. totally believe you. Um, but I, but and you famously did a, a, a really sort of electric, energetic production of Hamlet with Aidan Quinn at Wisdom Bridge, and which. I, in some way, either put the theater or you or both on the map a little bit? Hamlet, to this day, is is the production that more people come up to me. Uh, and and then we're talking about, I think it was 1984. Right. So this is a long time ago uh, at, at, at Wisdom Bridge Theater, which was the small theater on Howard Street that I ran for almost 10 years, with young Aidan Quinn. Um, I think I was about 26. I think he was 24 okay. when, when we did the production, somewhere in that area. And it just, you know, part of it was we did a lot of school groups, yeah. which we had never really done before. So we had a lot of school groups coming to see it. Although Aidan Quinn didn't do two shows. Right. It was almost four hours long. Sure. It, was, it was almost uncut. And Aiden really could only do one performance a day. I mean, it's, I can't even believe we did uh, two performances of that play a day. But right. we would do these student matinees, and a wonderful actor named Peter Aylward would do those performances. But after playing for a long time, it ran for a long, 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 long time, much longer than a normal like six-week run. I think it ran for 14 weeks or something. Wow. So a lot of people for a 200-seat theater saw it. But then it ended up moving downtown to the Civic Theater, which was a 900-seat theater... Uh, and had a run down there and also continued these matinees. So what happens to me today is I will have, uh, you know, uh, 45-year-old people come up to me and say, you know, I saw that production when I was 15 years old. Uh, It made me fall in love with Shakespeare. It made me want to be an actor. It made me want to work in the theater. Uh, And that that is so incredibly moving and, and, and gratifying uh, to me. And, and it really, a month doesn't go by without people talking about it. So it just, it just landed at the right time, at the right moment. Uh, it really clicked for a lot of people. It was it was very of the moment. It was a very modern dress production, and very and, and very energetic. I, I I can imagine it, it was probably some many students' first amazing introduction to Shakespeare, and a lot of us don't get an amazing introduction to Shakespeare. I I think that's true. I mean, I was just very lucky with the production. I mean, I, that was obviously a play I loved and have been thinking about it, and we kind of approached it very. It was very cheeky the way we did it. It was very serious, but there was a lot of cheeky stuff. And, and well, one of the elements I remember is that you, 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 he, Hamlet comes on and spray paints the words to be or not to be, then points to it right. and says that is the question. Yeah, that is, I, I do have to say, I'm trying, there is a sort of legendary quality around that, that moment. And that, two, two things about that. That came about actually, yeah, it was pretty great. And that was Aidan Quinn. He and I got in a room uh, for about a week prior to rehearsals and decided we would just work on the soliloquies. We just wanted to get together and work out the soliloquies so we weren't doing that and taking up time in the rehearsals. And we were, seriously, we were going, well, how the hell 
does anybody stand on stage and do to be or not to be? You know, it's just everybody knows. It. There's a great story about Richard Burton doing it. And his first Hamlet he was doing, and as he started to be or not, he heard somebody mumbling in the audience, that is the question, whether it is nobler. And he's like, somebody is reciting along with me. And it was Winston Churchill oh, reciting what? along with him. So, But there is that issue. How do you do it without the audience going, oh, here's that old. Here we go. And so Aiden said, Aiden's, both Aiden's parents were educators. They were both teachers and principals. And so he died. He said to me, he just, he, there was a piece of chalk in the room, and he went up on a black wall, and he diagrammed it as a sentence. He started diagramming it. And I went, well, that is, that's fantastic. And so we sort of worked with that so that Aiden would come out, house lights would go on, and he would write the numeral to letter B slash not, you know, numeral to B. And the audience would look at it, and there would be an enormous laugh like an enormous laugh. And then he would just look at it and then very seriously turn to them and go, that is the question. And it was like we all got over this difficult moment. Sure. Uh, there was a show, do you remember a TV show, uh, I think it was from the 80s, early 90s, called Head of the Class? Sure, Howard Hessman. Howard Hessman, yeah. he was a teacher, took place in school. I actually, there was a moment, somebody calls me on the phone, it's probably a decade after Hamlet. He says, turn on, turn on NBC, turn on NBC. And I turn on NBC. And there is an actor at a chalkboard going, that is the question, with to be or not to be written uh -huh. on, on the back wall. And, it, and the whole episode was about the students putting on a production of Hamlet. And it was exactly my production of Hamlet. And it was very funny. And, and, and I thought incredibly flattering. And somebody tracked it down, and it turns out that it was a, uh, a, a young guy who had been a student at Northwestern who saw that production. Wow. And, ten, and ten years later, he's a writer on, 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 on the show. And, and we actually contacted him, and he was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm caught. I'm caught. I was stealing this production. And we were, we were like, no, it's fantastic, man. Thanks so much. Thank that was really, really kind of a wonderful homage to that Hi, I'm Brian Dennehy, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. We have six more performances in 2019, all of the ultimate Christmas show abridged. This Saturday night, December 14th in Pontiac, Michigan, and next weekend from December 20th to the 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with Robert Falls, who, in addition in addition to serving as artistic director of the Goodman Theater in Chicago since 1986, has directed operas all around the world, directed off-Broadway, and received the Tony Award for Best Director for Death of a Salesman, starring Brian Dennehy. 
you talk about working in the room with Aidan Quinn. You, you, you've worked with some powerhouse actors. I mean, young Chicago actors and Brian Dennehy and Vanessa Redgrave. What, what do you like about that? And, and, and was there ever a point at which you went, oh, my God, I'm in a, I'm in a room with Brian Dennehy and Vanessa Redgrave? Yeah, there was that moment. I mean, never quite so much with Brian Dennehy, who from the moment I met him uh, in the mid-'80s uh, felt very familiar to me. I mean, he, maybe it's a family member. Maybe I'm used to people. Yeah, and he still to this day feels like, oh, some kind of much older brother yes. uh, than I do. <laughs> but, oh, my God, no, I'm, I am the most fortunate human being in the world to have had the chance to work... You know, I mean, certainly with, with people who I grew up with. I mean, right. there's a whole, the school of people I grew up with include Glenn Headley, Laurie Metcalf, Billy Peterson, uh, John Malkovich, Gary Sinise. Uh, I, you know, I could go on and on with yeah. the, that generation of Chicago actors. But I have to tell you, the moment when I was able to <laughs> and, and work, I had, I, I had adored, if not had a giant crush on Vanessa Redgrave from the time I saw her as a, as a guy young guy in the movie Blow Up when she was half naked, oh, right. topless. Yeah. Uh, I also admired her talent tremendously. <laughs> uh, and, and still do. I think she was probably, well, is, she's still acting a lot, mm -hmm. the greatest actress in, 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 in the theater. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I, when we were going to Broadway with that production, I said, well, they said, who do you want? And I said, oh, this is crazy. But and why this is Long Day's Journey tonight. This is Long yeah, Day's, yeah, yeah, this is Mary Tyrone. And like, I said, why don't we try to get Vanessa Redgrave? And, and uh, it, it, it turned out that it happened, that she was interested. And she came in um, and, and she said, uh, yeah, I'm really interested in doing this role. Although I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if it works. Why don't you and I read it together? And this was a meeting. It was supposed to be like a, an hour meeting. And she said, let's read it together. And I said, oh, you mean, uh, you know, like some of the scenes, Mary and James or Mary and, and, and Jamie? And she said, no, let's read the whole thing. She goes, I'll read Edmund, and then I'll also read Mary. You read the maid, and then... And so we ended up spending about four and a half hours in an office reading the play. Oh but she would get up and, like, hit you. She would hit me. She would throw... She just threw herself fully physically in the role. And I had to just sort of throw myself fully physical with this incredible force of nature and this actress who was probably my favorite actress right. of all time. So that was a, an amazing moment. That so was I, a trial by fire, God, it sounds well, like. Well, it was a trial by fire, and it prepared me for what was to come, oh. which was uh, a true... Uh, a, a true genius who was also a difficult genius. She, she announced uh, at the very first rehearsal uh, it's very first rehearsal, like, okay, let's sit down, let's read the play the way we all do. And she said, Robert, uh, I, 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 I know there are things that you people do, meaning directors, with blocking and lighting and costumes, but I would prefer if for the next six weeks you wouldn't uh, speak to us. <laughs> She's like, I think actors are entirely capable of doing performances without a director. And, and I think that's the way we should approach this. 
so many questions go through my mind, but isn't 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 one of the roles of a director to sort of refer, referee between other actors? Uh, <laughs> I could see I could see her kind of leading the charge there. A well, bit. you know, you have to remember the thing about her is that she came from I think three to four generations of actors, yeah. Yeah. going back to I think the 18th century. Yeah. Uh, and so she comes from that. Well, she's the purest, you know. I yeah. mean, we certainly have the whole school of, you know, we, we currently have a school and we see productions that are directorless mm -hmm. of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I think that she came from that tradition and actually genuinely believed it. But I, I actually said to her, you know, Vanessa, I understand what you're saying, but since they're paying me to be here for six weeks yeah. and they're paying you to be here for six weeks, yeah. I'm going to have to occasionally <laughs> talk to you during this next six weeks. And indeed, that's what happened, and, and, and she was really extraordinary. Um, it was complex. You had to let her, because she's a genius, go her route. But you also had to then negotiate and work around five other actors right. um, who were also in the production with her. Right. Actually, yeah, five actors. Yeah. Right. Well, and a murderer's row of actors, too. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Brian Dennehy, Robert Sean Leonard. That's right. I mean, it was a great, it was a, not a bunch of chimps, you know, these are... Do you know what's funny? It's just before we got together, uh, I was in another meeting, and we, and we were talking about the critic John Lahr, the great mm -hmm. critic, uh, and, and, I, and I recounted the story that I have complex feelings about Mr. Lahr, in part because of something like Long Day's Journey Tonight, where he reviewed it for The New Yorker, and it was a rave, rave review for the production and the actors. It was all about the actors as it should be in that play. And he, his final line, at somewhere, it may not have been the final line, but it was embedded in there somewhere. This cast is so brilliant, uh, it didn't need a director. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I wanted to, like, write him and say, well, actually, it did have a director. So yeah, yeah I was not included in that, in that uh, rogues gallery. It doesn't just happen by itself. I interviewed Brian for the podcast, too, and he talked extensively and can talk extensively about Eugene O'Neill. But what was, was also fascinating to talk to him is to find out that he almost, he almost wishes... I am interpreting that he almost wishes the show never opened because it's what happens in the rehearsal hall that is important yeah. to him. Yeah, I feel the same way, yeah. I, I, and maybe that's one of the reasons I, I've been—I've had such a great time with Brian, who's, who's just—he really is. I mean, he—he he loves being in front of an audience and certainly loves the applause. But maybe I'm wrong. He likes it. He likes it a lot. Yeah. But he—he—he's very happy being in the rehearsal room, just working on it, working on it analyzing it, talking about it, fighting it, resisting it, embracing it, uh, and, and just could continue to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And I actually feel a little bit the same way as a director. I mean, I'm always fully aware that uh, you're doing this, you're doing all of this work, and then you have to ultimately turn it over to the actors, and then they have the experience with the audience. Right. And for many of them, they're like, oh my God, thank God, we're done with the rehearsals, we've gotten through tech, we're done right. with previews, right. and the damn director goes away, <laughs> right. and we can finally get down to doing the play. And so, you know, there are, I, I've talked to actors years later, and they go, I don't remember, I, the play was wonderful, I don't remember the rehearsals. I, I remember, I don't remember rehearsing it because they ended up doing a lot more performances than they did rehearsal days. Sure. But for me, I could just be in there forever and the experience is less, does the audience like it, does the audience dislike it, are they applauding, are they not, than being in the room with great artists uh, trying to figure out the work. 
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Part two of my conversation with Robert Falls, in which he talks, among other things, about working with Elton John, will end in the next few weeks, possibly even next week. To make sure you don't miss it, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast on Apple Podcasts or add it to your library on Stitcher or follow us on Spotify. That way you won't miss an episode. Then send us your trials by fire via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to thankfully not topless Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Pamela Thaler. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Brian Dennehy. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 678 2034ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. And Howard Hessman could easily have played you once upon a time. Well, that's pretty, and here I am now playing Howard Hessman. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.